Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Legendary Leaders. I'm so delighted to have you all here and to welcome Matt Thielman today onto the show. He's a transformational coach, visionary speaker, advisor, author, and I would add just a really humble, um, lovely human being. And Matt works with leaders and change makers to help them live into their purpose more fully and bring their masterpieces to the world. He educates and trains coaches to be world-class in their field and help their clients reach their full potential. And he's the author of This is Coaching, How to Transform a Client's Performance, Life and Business as a Master Coach and Warrior of Love. He and I are going to be talking about quite a few topics. What makes a great coach what do great coaches do, say, not do? What's the work they are investing in themselves as well? And we're speaking of mess, the mess we all bring as human beings to the table and what role that plays during coaching conversations. But he's also going to talk about mindful leadership and the framework he created in order to support leaders be more mindful about themselves but about the people around them so that they can have a much more positive impact on uh, society overall and create more meaningful um, results in their lives as well. Um, he's also talking about his own path that led him in the end to coaching and his observations when he was working in marketing and an agency there uh, and had a lot of clients around him who seemed a bit more hectic not mindful at all, quite tense when uh, being in touch with him too. And the impact those observations had on choosing the path he has then put himself on. We're also at least touching up on coaching credentialing and certification and what's the right way to go, but also how can coaching credentialing restrict you? I'm happy to share my own experience here on the show with you today and how this path sometimes gets in the way of me being my full authentic self and best self as a coach as well, um, who wants to help other people create transformation. So these are just a few of those topics we are going to be touching upon. And I really, really can't wait to share this episode with you. So do enjoy and as always share your insights, your feedback, your questions with us after you have listened to it. So enjoy and I see you again. But as I said, I'm sharing with you in a moment. Well, hello and welcome on this public holiday here. Matt Thieleman, hello. Hey, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm so excited to talk with you. Me too. Actually, with, with you, while I was preparing for this conversation, I thought, where to start? Because there are so uh -huh. many questions 
I am having all around leadership, around coaching, about mindfulness and mindfulness leadership in combination. But you know what? Most importantly, this conversation is about you and you sharing your story and your insights with the listeners. So why don't we start there? Tell our listeners a little bit more about you. How are you helping the world? And how did you get to that point where you are helping a lot of people in this world, at least? The thing that I do for money, we'll say, so that I can pay my bills that helps the world is that I am a leadership coach. I work with uh, what I call kind of wacky visionary leaders, people who think that they can change the world and want to do impossible things. Those are my people. I also work with other coaches to support them in helping people to create impossible things. So most of my day is spent online and Zoom, supporting people in uh, moving through whatever is they feel like is in their way from them taking action on or, uh, you know, having being the leader that they want to be, we'll say. And I just uh, published my first book in April. And so it appears that another way that I'll be helping the world going forward is uh, writing and sharing my thoughts on leadership and coaching. And outside of work, how I try to be a human who helps the world is that I, how do I, how do I say this? I, I am trying to normalize human experiences, which is fundamental in coaching, but everywhere I go, which is to say that we're all, we all uh, are amazing. We're, I think we're all divine beings and we all forget that. And life can be feel really hard and scary and we can feel really alone. And so with the folks I know in the world and anyone who interacts with me uh, online, I, I simply want them to know that I see them and I get them. And my hope is that as that happens more, we can create more conversations where people don't feel alone. And that will allow us to do more courageous, expressive things. And then the world will just get better or something like that. Or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are those courageous things that you have been doing in your life? Well, I get married in 27 days. Yes. Um, yeah. So that, that one. <laughs> and, and uh, I think the act of, uh, by the way, I, it doesn't feel I'm so ex I'm I'm so excited. Like I'm a complete and full body yes. And the courageous part I think has been to come from a place in relationship that says this is just the start. We got another, you know, however indetermined number of years, but hopefully a lot of them where we get to continue to love each other better. And the the courageous part I think in any commitment, and we can apply this by the way to business or friendships or whatever we are being a parent. That every day can I show up from from the perspective, from the place of uh, I'm here to grow closer to you. I'm here to see what you can teach me. I'm here to show up fully for you, and I'm here to see how we what we can create together. And that's I think a really courageous perspective. It is, and at the same time, you were just able to turn it into the most beautiful thing in this world. Courageous, <laughs> yes, but with so much optimism opportunity um dreaming as well it's uh, it's beautiful and i'm really excited for you 27 days you. it's not too long no it's it's going up <laughs> very quickly this is we can every day i'm like okay it's getting closer we got we got some stuff to do still mm, i was just about to ask as to whether you're all set and can relax now in the last days it doesn't sound quite like it 
No, we're in the part of it where we had hunted a lot of stuff. Uh, we, you know, we had like moved it and say, we'll take care of that in the last couple of weeks because it feels like that. And so we're at that point where mm-hmm. for the last couple of months, it was like, yeah, it was mostly taken care of. And now we're, we're doing the final things. And I, I imagine a lot of folks can relate to that, that sort of experience. I mean, speaking a little bit about mindfulness already, often I hear from couples getting married that the day literally flew by and they can't remember half of the day anymore um, because there was so so much going on. The agenda was huge and so on and so forth. And I got married a year ago and I was very, very conscious of it and really tried my best to memorize literally everything and to really indulge into yeah. all those special moments that you are encompassing. So how mindful are you overall in your life? And a bit of a tricky question to ask, how mindful do you intend to be at your own wedding? In in life, for the most part, I I think I do a pretty good job of uh, being present, uh, of being in the moment. I That's been a muscle I've developed over a number of years. That, was, that generally was not my experience of life a few years ago. Where historically, I would think about all the things I had to do. I constantly felt as if I should be somewhere else or I should be doing a better job of being in the moment. There is a lot of whatever I'm doing is not right. <laughs> it should be, it should be different or better. And I, you know, I'm uh, slowly I've changed my experience of life on the wedding day itself. I, one of the things that I, Kristen, my fiance and I talk about a lot is that is to remind ourselves that all of the planning we're doing is in support of celebrating love and and that that's the biggest that's what it's all for the planning is not for the planning the structure is not for the structure the structure is so that we can have open and spacious love and be there together and so i think i'll have to remind myself of that i i can i can get really wrapped up in details um getting things to be like really good and especially for other people we are we're trying to really take care of our guests and so i can pay a lot of attention to that but I, w- I was telling you before we hopped on, I some good friends got married last night. And so I, I learned from them. I watched them pause and reflect and watch everyone having a good time. And, and I saw them doing a really amazing job of taking it in. And so I'm using them as a model. And mm-hmm. so I, I'll, I'll take what I learned in a few, you know, in a couple of weeks and, and apply that. I, uh, yeah, I can, I can highly recommend that. And I'm, I'm really supportive of what you just said. All the planning can help you be as present as possible on the actual day. Loads of friends said to me that was the best organized wedding, call it German, I don't know, um, they have ever attended. And I'm still not sure as to whether I take it as a compliment or not (laughs) because I can over plan. But it enabled us indeed to really just enjoy the moment Mm -hmm. and be there fully. And and I I love that. that. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. That sounds great. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Feels already like such a long time ago. Um, But coming back to you and your story, when I watched your TEDx talk, which also feels like a long time ago now, I just loved your honesty about your story, how you became a coach, for example. And I would really love for you to share the story with our listeners here. How did you get on that path you're on now? So the... The story is that in uh, December of 2014, I had been working as a marketer since uh, 2008, so about six years. 
and had become sort of fed up with the system. And by the system, I mean, just generally how business operates here in the US and that I saw a lot of that a lot of people were un- unhappy in their jobs, that leadership and management didn't seem to be working. We were working more and I didn't think we were necessarily working for the things that we wanted to. And I say this as a someone who worked as a, at a marketing agency where we would be doing projects for clients and they would ask us for like a new blog post campaign to like save their brand. And I would be like, well, your product isn't good and you clearly aren't having fun at work and you're yelling at me all the time. And I can tell that you don't like your boss. Like maybe that's not the, maybe the blog post isn't the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in December of 2014, I, I read a, a report that talked about upcoming trends for the next year. And two of them that stuck with me were um, one, digital detox vacations. So people going to remote places, literally like handing off their phone as a way to escape from technology. And at the time I was creating digital posts and content. I was writing Facebook posts, you know, and then going to dinner with friends and saying, put your phone down and let's hang out like humans. Like, so there was something that wasn't in, in, that was not in alignment. And then I also read about people doing drop-in meditation, uh, specifically in New York City at this point. And it was focused on sort of tech workers and folks on Wall Street. And so it was like these people who we think of as historically like anti-mindfulness is like very connected to the system. We're like taking a break and talking about how impactful it was in their day. So I said, there's, there's something here. I'm going to start to bring mindfulness to the corporate world because I immediately saw this like connective connective ideas. Like if we have more of this ability to take a pause, to know our values, to understand why we're here, then we'll be better leaders. Everything will, as I said, the life will just be in some way, get better. It was sort of like I, there was an indistinguished, but I knew life would be better. Um, But the the trick is I had never meditated. Um, So I decided I was going to start a mindfulness business that I had, I didn't, had never done the thing. Um, (laughs) And I had this like very like, uh, um, growing up, I was really uh, into Buddhism and Tibet, the, the the country, and a lot of the history of that sort of philosophy. But I had never, I thought meditating was a thing that I had to like be trained how to do and go and become a monk, and that it was really hard. I didn't know it was simply just like sitting down with myself, focusing on my breath if I wanted to, or anything, you know, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I had this idea for the business. I decided I was going to uh, start teaching people mindfulness. And so I just, I went and started learning how to meditate and telling friends about it. And we started to get opportunities to, to teach mindfulness in workshops. I found an amazing mentor. She actually guided folks on meditation while I talked about a lot, a lot of science behind it. Um, again, I was bringing it to the corporate world. And so I wanted some there to be a, a science-backed base. And then we had an opportunity to teach students at UNC, um, University of North Carolina here. Um, and that was how I developed the framework for mindful leadership. I, I, I realized we're, I'm talking to 18, 19, 20-year-olds. I don't want to just tell them again to sit down and breathe. There has to be, there has to be a connection to this, to something they can apply in their life. Well, they're going to be the CEOs of the world in the next 20, 30 years. So what skills and tools and ways of being that that they need at that point and what will happen 30 years from now, how will the world look and how do we start to teach them to understand that? So when you started getting into mindful leadership, teaching it, and I find it really important that there is a 
uh, scientific background as well on connection. I, I noticed myself as a leadership coach, it works very well when you say, and this is what science is. Um, yeah. about the impact of mindfulness um, creates immediately a different buy-in from my perspective. But I do wonder what, what happened then? What did you notice about the people you were teaching? It was uh, both people were really excited. So this, this is around 2015. Today, mindfulness is pretty prevalent all over the place, whether or not we're applying it in a way that I think is really successful is a different story. But the idea yeah. and the narrative about mindfulness and meditation is everywhere. But I was in the religious South in the US, um, teaching this thing that a lot of people thought was a religion. And in, 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 in saying, do this in your corporate world, and you'll have, you know, more engaged employees and more productive employees. And so some folks are really into it. Um, often, I, I found a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, thank you for bringing this, like, we need this so badly. And I, I'm laughing, the one of the most common responses I heard was, oh my gosh, my boss needs this. He or she is a complete jerk. Oh. Please come change our culture. And I would laugh and say, well, they won't hire me, right? If that's if it's actually that bad, then it's probably not worth even having a conversation. Um, so that was really fascinating. Um, but the, the more that I started to kind of talk about it and teach it, the, the more people leaned in. We, that was when I started to get coaching opportunities. So people would see me speak on the tools for mindful leadership and come out um, to me after I spoke and say, hey, will you coach me? And I, I say, yes, uh, but I had no idea what a coach was. Um, similar to how I started the, the company, you know, teaching, teaching workshops. And so I literally Googled, how do I onboard a coaching client? And thought, okay, cool. Like I get to have conversations with people and ask them questions and point out what I see. And so uh, for me, I had this revelatory moment of like, I get to do this thing that is supernatural to me and I get paid for it. Like, there's no way that this is actually possible. Like, that was me just entering into coaching. Little did I know that it would challenge every aspect of my personality and identity in a really wonderful way that forces me to keep growing. But at the onset, I, I started to, yeah, really, really see that this was an amazing gift to the world to like allow people to be in conversation and share the stuff that they don't want to share anywhere else and to be received in it and challenged in it. And then to watch them sort of grow more as leaders. And so folks started to develop more confidence. Folks started to really see themselves more clearly. They started to stand up for themselves, have more clarity in what they wanted out of their career as leaders. And uh, it got to be really fun. One of the reasons why I was so looking forward to talking to you was to explore coaching and mm. what makes coaches great coaches, for example, and to delve a little bit deeper into that. And I really can't wait to start that conversation. However, before we do that, I want to talk to you about limiting beliefs, really. Mm. I could imagine that's a pure assumption based on my own experience in limiting beliefs that there would be a lot of other people without any understanding of coaching at this point of time who might say no 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 I'm not a qualified or certified coach and but I can recommend somebody to you and so on and so forth and who would step back right away mm -hmm. and say no to this opportunity and I think I I probably would have in all honesty uh, a few years ago what about you so what gave you the belief in yourself to say cool I'm gonna give that a go let me google what coaching is so I'll figure it out and then let's do yeah. this you know? <laughs> I, part of it is a little bit of insanity um but the the um 
really so i have i've had two and maybe starting becoming a coach was the start of a turning point with my relationship with limiting beliefs so we'll say up until age 30 30 31 something like that my relationship with limiting beliefs was i should never have them hide them away as much as possible because i need to know all of the answers and so if i get caught in not knowing the answers then um no one will trust me and i'll be alone and that's not okay and so what that turned into was me saying yes to opportunities and then figuring it out along the way because i was so scared to be revealed as a fraud. And so uh, that actually was what happened in this. Cause I started to speak in the world and I had put on my website that I could do coaching just cause I thought coaching sounded like a thing that other people were doing in the space. And then, so when, the, when, when I was asked, I would say yes. And then inside would it entirely freak out and be like, I have no idea do what I'm doing. I'm, this is, you know, how did this happen? But then I would say yes. And then I would do all of the work so that I would not be sort of caught. And so it, it was effective toward me taking action. It was not that effective toward having an internal experience of life that was any fun at all. Um, because mostly like my experience was uh, like, I'm no good and I'm, I'm someone's going to find out one day. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've started to, to sort of change my experience of limiting beliefs. And this is thanks to a lot of coaching that I've received in my, myself. It's been that I, I think they're, they're going to show up. Their job is to keep us safe. And so if I'm doing anything new in the world, they're just going to be there. Like, it's just sort of a presupposition of life. Like if I'm doing something that is, that's a new idea that I've never done before, I'm going to get limiting beliefs. They're just there. And so the more I can shift the relationship to them and the more I can um, increasingly now allow myself to be seen in them. And so that includes talking to my coach, talking to my partner, talking to friends and family and saying, yeah, I'm doing all this cool stuff and I'm really scared and they can like love me in that. Then I have more courage. We're talking about courage. I think that's the antidote to these limiting beliefs. I have more courage to, to take the next step and I don't have to allow it to, to really dictate my experience of life. That being said, I am aware that on the outside, it looks like a lot of the stuff I've done might look impressive like folks are saying, like, how did Matt do that? He did a TEDx talk. He's written a book. In my internal experience of that generally is that it's not enough. That I should have written two or three books by now. That um, I wasn't on the big TED stage. That I had some stumbles in my talk. That I should be making more money. So generally, I'm I'm always comparing myself against my this version of myself that is just, just like hugely impressive. And so I can sometimes have a disconnect between how the world sees me and how I see me. You remain totally authentic and honest and out there. Um, And I really appreciate that. It started for me with your TEDx talk, our pre-conversation about coaching. Um, I started to read your book and I went through the book, but not in as much detail, at least for the last two chapters than I, I wanted to, but I will catch yeah. up on that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> through and through, it is honest and out there. Mm-hmm. One of the big questions I often ask myself or I uh, talk to my supervisor about uh, when it comes to being a coach is your clients will bring up, up stuff that you deal with yourself. And it's the first coaching book 
where somebody wrote about exactly that <laughs> and how actually despite the fact that you need to be so present and mindful and focused on the agenda of your client the person and the topic you deal with your own stuff and I found that very very refreshing I thought oh finally yes now I can talk openly about that as well so this was a very long intro to the question I have for you how do you deal with that stuff I should be on that stage I should go after the bigger goals because I can well imagine that some if not all of your coaches bring that up yeah well and I I generally work with people who have impossible goals and and my my people are as I say like a little bit disconnected from reality they like we tend to think because we can see so much possibility we imagine we imagine that should already happen my my coach and I are distinguishing this. He he said, like, you're really good at taking things from optional to required really fast. And it's like an unconscious move for me. Like there is a part of me, part of my essence is seeker, which is that I generally I'm moving towards the next best version of a thing. I'm I'm like, I want to go deeper, I want to go into it, I want it to be better. And what happens uh if I'm not conscious of it is that that like as soon as I reach a milestone, I see the next milestone and I need to be there. And so, so part of my practice personally is to notice when that takes over, when that's part is, is sort of driving the bus and the experience of life I have when it's taking over is that um, I'm way more focused on what is next than where I am currently. Um, I'm not at all looking back and celebrating what I have accomplished or where I am or who I am currently. And I have these stories. Whenever I have these stories of I'm not enough, it's not good enough. I like my job is just to catch them. So that that's just kind of like part one is like notice this stuff when it's happening, right? Like that's the that's like the the kind of first ingredient that has that is I think required in order for us to tr- change our relationship with it and to move through it and to move through it in a really healthy way. Because I, I spent again, I spent 30 years of moving through it in what I thought was an unhealthy way, which is just like charging through it and not paying any attention, but meanwhile being just terrified. And so once we have awareness of it, the next place that I look is what's really going on underneath there. So that should, that says I should, I should be further ahead or whatever it is. Like what's the driving energy of force? What feelings are there related to what stories are there related to it? And so um, often it's 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 for my deep love for the world. If I see something as possible, I want it to happen because I again, like I believe the world will be better if it exists. And so I can really just tune into and allow for that love to for me to feel that love. And that's an entirely different feeling compared to the anxiety of you're not doing this thing, right? The the love is as a driver is like, oh, that feels that feels good, cool. Let's just hang out there for a second. And when that emerges, I suddenly gratitude emerges, compassion emerges, mm-hmm. and there's a softness, there's a choice in my action. Um, because when I have to drive to that thing, there's choicelessness. There's the decision is already made for me, but when I can pause and get into the feeling and the the fuel of it, there's choice. It's like, do I want to do that right now? Is right now, is that wise to do right now? Is that the best thing to do right now? Or is it I make note of it and then I plan for when to do it later or I give it some time or I need to think. And then when we have choice, I think, well, you know, like, again, life is way better. We have a different experience of life at that point. I I love the word choice. Uh, I use it myself quite regularly, just 
A, you put yourself back into the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. B, it shows you how liberated you are. We live in a very privileged circumstance and environment where we can say, you know, what is it I can do? What do I really want to do? And how about truly noticing what feels liberating and free in this moment and good to me? And I personally see that in the leadership space, not too often, especially at the moment. And I'm mainly based in Western Europe, however, working also with the US quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And there I hear, I would love to be coached. I would love to have more time for raising awareness, for being more reflective. But I simply don't even manage to get through my to-do list, you know, my personal as well as professional to-do list. And getting into that space where they can see the choices they have, where they can be simply present, take a breather, or even meditate in this moment, seems already like the biggest obstacle. So I do wonder from your experience of noticing self, your limiting beliefs, working with others, what what can people do to step out of that hamster wheel or off the treadmill and into space? Yeah, it's such a such a great question and observation. My experience, and first of all, I work through this often. And my my observation is so generally the 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 reason the resistance that is there in that idea of I don't have time for that. The story says, if I stop pushing or if I allow myself to break, I'll never start again, right? Like that, that generally is the fear of like, it's not okay to take a break because then everything or everything will fall apart if I, if I miss this one, this one thing I have to do. So there's a, there's a context in the world that everything that I'm doing is critical and important. And to, if I take a pause, then, then I'll never start again. I'll never, I'll never catch back up. And I'll acknowledge, I think that that is generally the context of the environment we live in. That's the context of capitalism, like, right? Like the idea that we need to constantly be growing and making more money. And so my perspective is to help folks to understand and see that like, hey, this is just the, this is the water you're swimming in. This is the way that you're viewing this idea. And um, first of all, like, again, to create awareness when it's happening. So that that's when, first of all, my approach, like, hey, this seems to be what's going on for you. Does that feel like it's pretty accurate? Um, because when it's not, uh, when we're unaware of it, we don't have choice. And so then, and then we can start to work with it and say, like, do you think that's actually true? Do you, historically, do you have any experience of that being not true? What's the impact of that in your life? So let's fast forward 30, 40 years. You never take a break. How is How are things going? you at that point right like what do you what do you think happens if nothing changes and so my invitation for folks is to have them really take a look at the impact of this context or this this um like how they're acting and how they're being long term or maybe other places in their life like hey if you have a kid do you want your kid to grow up thinking that they can never get off this hamster wheel like right like so so to give folks different perspectives and places to view it and and at, at some point, I generally imagine that there's like a little bit of a leverage point. And people will say like, oh, I see, maybe there's another option. And at that point, generally, a lot of fear shows up. 
and they will make themselves wrong for it. Or they will say that I, that because fear is here, we cannot do that. That's impossible. I'll die. And I think that's one of the like big places a coach can be super helpful because often people have the awareness of what's really good for them, but they want to avoid the uncertainty and the, the crappy feelings about that. And so as a coach, if, if I can really love the fear and help them see that the fear is there to keep them safe, it's all okay. And that the fear is actually directionally pointing them to the idea that like the fear is probably the re- the place to go. <laughs> and so when you're afraid, that's actually an indication that you need to step in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's a reframing of folks' relationship with fear. And then we can start to, to make a move. But and, and so like this might be this is probably not five minutes of work. This is not like a, you know, like a short conversation, right? Like this is like them, like feeling like they're banging their head against the wall for a bit of time. Sometimes it can happen in a moment, but if it takes, you know, months, I'm also okay with that because they need to go through their process to see that. And and there are quite a few observations that you have shared in your book that I would like to talk a little bit more about. One of them being that, Everybody will get to a stage, I don't know how you phrase it now, but everybody will get to a stage where you simply don't know. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't know what you want to achieve, what success looks like and all of that. I definitely have been there. And I worked with a coach, and I'm still working with a coach, um, to get through this situation is perhaps a little bit, um, is, is the wrong way of describing it because you don't have to get through it it's also about embracing it and creating this vision for options and choices again right it's perhaps also a good moment to simply be still and experience what's going on right now and maybe be okay with not moving but I find that very very interesting now I'm imagining some very busy leaders approaching you wanting to work with you and they're like I actually don't know where I want to go I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do and yeah. as to whether I should be coached, why would I need a coach? Right? A, is that something you're experiencing? And B, how do you deal with that? Oh, yeah, totally. There are a few versions of this. One is, I know I want to make a change, but I don't know what it is yet. And I will be wasting your time if I come to you without knowing what it is I want to do. Right. And that, that I like, it's so, my heart is so open to that. Right. Cause I, that just reveals their context. We're like, Oh, if you're, if you don't have everything straight, then you're going to disappoint people or waste their time. And so my response is this is actually the time to get a coach, right? Like this is the perfect time to get a coach and just, just kind of like, again, like fast forward and think about if you do this unsupported, you're going to do it exactly how you've done it. And we have a lot of history that shows how it will go. And right now you're identifying that you want something to change. That's actually the place to start. And a new perspective there, someone who can support you through this, someone who can help you to shift and to make the decision from the values or from the place you want to make the decision could make all the difference. And secondly, you can never waste my time. That's silly. So let's also work on that, right? Like let's play with that idea. So you get to drop that because, because, you know, you're, you're perfect and, and this is my job. So there's that one. And there's the, the, the second version is like, um, I did all the things, Matt. I, I like, I went through the list that society told me to do and I'm still here and nothing inside changed what do I do? 
And that one is, you know, like the, the Buddhists kind of talk about that life is fundamentally groundless. We are falling through the air and there's nothing to catch us. That's both good news and bad news. And that's like a, that can be a very spiritual moment for people where they're like, they realize that the game that they've been playing was not built by them. It was built by someone else. And when they won it, it didn't actually get them what they thought it would, which is, you know, feeling really good. And so that, that's a really scary time where it's like, oh, like there's no ground at all. There's no answer aside from the answer that I create. And um, again, like the, like for even in my body, I can feel now there's like a fundamental terror to that of like, oh my gosh, you mean I'm up, I get to decide everything in my life. That's there's tremendous opportunity there, but also what if I screw it up? What if I do it wrong? That's too scary. I want to do nothing instead. And also a really ripe place to, to get supported because, you know, I think like, what if that to that terror, that fear, that acknowledgement of anything is possible, like is actually really empowering. Like you, like you have an empowered perspective with it now. And I imagine through some work, right. You're like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like it feels super good. I get to create anything. And my experience is for, for many people, the first time uh, they become aware of that it doesn't feel great. It's like something is broken because before now they had all the answers. They were just outsourcing the answers. And you know what, Madge, I don't know how it felt for you, but it's it's a little bit like a roller coaster. Yeah. You feel really low. You wonder what is going on. Then you work your way through and you see the opportunities, as, as you mentioned. But there will be a different time when you get back into a place of, okay, and, and now, what's going on now? Um, because life isn't just straightforward, right? We take our learnings, our insights with us, and we grow wiser. But it doesn't yeah. mean we will never get back to a place where we feel, damn it, what am I going to do now? <laughs> feel a bit stuck. Yeah. And initially, for me at least, it never feels good. No. There's yeah, loads we... of doubt and shit going on. <laughs> we we have an idea that we will at one point arrive at all of the answers. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just like, that's the first time people come to, like, tell me what to do so I don't have to feel this again. And it's yeah. so, it's so sweet. And I'm there all the time. By the way, I like, all, I'm like, when can I be fully baked? When can I have all the <laughs> stuff? I don't have to, and I can like be, I can be done. And and really, like when I'm kind of sitting in a grounded view, I realize if we're doing really good work in life, we get to experience that not less often. We actually get to experience it more often because we become wiser and stronger and we own our more our power more, which means that we realize our goals and targets quicker. We ship projects more quickly. We we make we have breakthroughs in parts of life that used to take a couple of years and now take a couple of months. And so we get to repeat this new, this new cycle more and more often. And so in fact, when, you know, our ego wants to say like, oh, no, 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 I just need to do this once and be done. The, the spiritual warrior, I call the warrior of love. They get to actually repeat this a lot more often because they're growing and transforming so much more quickly than they used to. And so, you know, like I, I can say in a snarky way, like get used to it. Um, and, and the reason we have coaches is so we can get supported because it, to your point, pretty much always feels horrible the first time we enter it, right? We're like, oh, this again, I was hoping I would never have to do it. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. But at the same time, doesn't it feel just wonderful when, you know, 
And I have done it before. I will do it now. Let's be curious about what the outcome of this part of the journey is going to be. And then you suddenly mix this frustrated feeling that I experience, at least from time to time, with this feeling of excitement, anticipation, pride as well that you manage, you know, and then you fall back onto a brilliant network as well. Can be a coach or as you said, your partners or your fiancé or friends and so on and so forth. This is why I, I like to, I'm increasingly using this word of normalizing human experiences, right? Because we can, once we establish the idea of like, oh yeah, I'm here again. I'm at that part of the roller coaster where I'm at the very top, I'm looking down and I'm afraid I'm going to crash. Like, this isn't bad. This is just what happens when I'm making something new. And if I know, and I, and I can like really rest in the idea that it will shift, things things will shift. I will move through this. I, I have historically, I'm really powerful. Then we can we can get stuck in that spot for less time. And we can add so much less significance to it and make it mean so much less in our life. And in fact, to be like, like there's I imagine there's an opportunity to see that spot and get really excited every time. I'm not quite there yet, but I imagine it might be possible. Hell yes. So we, we <laughs> mentioned your book a couple of times. But here it is. This is coaching um, is the name of it. And I'm going to ask you a slightly uh, amended version of a question you are asking a couple of times in your book. Mm. And the question you ask in the book is, what do you really want? That's a big one. Now, my question for you is, what do you really want to achieve with this book, Matt? If I could have it my way, every coach in the world would read it. And not so that I could make money and happy. I w- if I didn't make a dollar from sales and every coach in the world read it, I would be the happiest person alive. And the the reason behind that is I think there are some timeless lessons and principles in the book that we could all be served by coming back to, no matter where we are as a coach, even if, you know, I had an amazing endorsement from Marshall Goldsmith, who's the number one leadership coach in the world, just humbled the humbled me like crazy. Mm-hmm. I imagine that there's at least a sentence in there that Marshall can come back to and say like, oh yeah, like I can remember that the next time I'm in a conversation. And so that that's my hope I, is, is that this is, it's, it's a, it's a piece of art that folks will come back to and uh, to continue to sharpen their skills and remind, remember who they are as a coach. So that's my big, my big vision of what I really want if I could have it. Yeah. Wow. So, what would the impact be of that on the world? Because right in the beginning, you said, you know, we can make this a better world. Big, yeah, big yeah. goal. <laughs> so, so if every coach would read it and would take those nuggets away from it, what would change? How can we make this world better? I think it's related to what you and I were just talking about, about these cycles of growth and transformation. Mm. And so if, if, you know, we imagine like, uh, we'll just make up timelines, say a, a traditional cycle of growth and transformation is a year long. And if we could make that a month long for more people in the world who are realizing their breakthroughs, realizing their goals and dreams, making deeper relationships, say having their business be more impactful uh, creating more better products, more financial success for them and their employees, having uh, businesses that people want to work at, like whatever it is their goals are. Again, I'm imagining like people have goals that are that serve humanity 
as a whole and aren't simply self-centered and in focus that I'm, that's a, that's a, that's a leap, but that's kind of what, what I hope happens. So I imagine if, if we can uh, kind of reduce the amount of time in that, in that cycle of growth, then well, so much more cool stuff happens. If everyone in the world or every coach, say it's a few million people, they're working on that growth in their own lives. Then the people that they're around will say, oh my gosh, like you're, you're more content, you're more joyful, you're more expressed, you, you learned how to sing and it's a, a, been a dream of yours for 10 years. Then, then the people in their life say, well, there's this thing that I haven't spoken that I haven't taken action on, but maybe that's possible because I see that this person is doing this. Um, so that's just kind of like one degree from those coaches lives, but the, the people that they're working with, the, their, their clients, if they are more successful and, and faster um, cycles with their business, then their businesses grow faster. The, the people they work with love working there more. They are more true to their values then suddenly the ripple effect is really massive. And so I, I can't, what, what I can say is that I imagine a world in which more people are expressed, they're doing courageous things, they're living with empathy and compassion. And I just imagine that cool stuff happens. I could I could give you ideas, but I kind of want other people to create those ideas who are really, who really have those dreams. Create your vision. What do you uh, want this world to be like? And, and you know what, mm. when you just, took me with you into this into your vision basically for some reason which reminded me of a recent experience um my my sister her husband my husband we went to a gig uh on friday a really really big gig actually over seventy thousand people and um, my husband and i were crazy about music so we see gigs literally in all sorts of different places in the world and just enjoy ourselves and so therefore we also know what different crowds can be like. I get to the point, I promise, that is yeah. connected to what you just said. On Friday, we were watching the crowd while walking through to a place where we wanted to stand to see the band. And on the way, there was just so much negativity. How dare you to walk in front of me? How can you do that? There's a queue or a line, you would say, in the US, in front of that stand. Um, people are talking around me. Can't they listen to the band? There was just moaning, right? Uh -huh. And these are the moments when I am more mindful now. In the past, I would be complaining. I would say, why is everybody moaning? I kind of then move into the same pattern, right? Yeah. And now I'm watching it and I'm like, why are people moaning about all of these things? We are here to really enjoy something beautiful. We have the opportunity to be here. The sun is shining. You know, um, everything's cool. Yeah. And why is that? Why are we so frustrated, negative, seeing the negative in others, bad and um, assuming bad intentions and so on and so forth? And I do believe if we build more meaningful conversations, being there for others with our listening skills, being in a position, and as you said, where we can transform our lives and therefore society, oh, how much more joyful would be we be with one another, right? Yeah, for sure. And I know those situations like that, yeah. where it's really easy to fall into that energy. Yes. And we could create more positive energy all around us because we simply feel more content in our lives with our way of being. 
you know, and pass on this positivity to others. That is my dream, at least. Well, how is the music? Brilliant. Oh, good. Fantastic. <laughs> Two and a half hours that literally flew by. And I was like, how can that be? It was brilliant. Yeah. But we were in our little bubble of happiness. Yeah, nice. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash inner professional. So you mentioned Marshall Goldsmith, and I actually look into the other direction because I just got his latest book as well. Um, but there are so many people and experts in coaching out there. And I read somewhere that you attended a program by Steve Chandler, I believe. So one of the first books I've ever read as a coach was The Prosperous Coach. That was what I read by, I haven't attended his programs, but I read The Prosperous Coach very early. And he describes, or they describe, obviously, um, what coaching is, what makes coaching really meaningful, and how you can literally draw and attract clients to you as well. And they talk in particular about very meaningful conversations that create transformation as you highlighted it as well what does fantastic great meaningful coaching look and feel like to you because you experience coaching as well yeah i and i i love the prosperous coach uh just a, a little a second on on that it was the first coaching book that someone directed me to and i said how do i do this coaching thing and I read it and I was like devoured it and I have notes all over. And then I realized, well, I don't actually know what happens in a coaching conversation. They didn't, there's no framework on what coaching is aside yeah. from coaching is magical. <laughs> and so my hope is that this is coaching kind of fills in that gap, right? This little bit like, this is what actually happens in a coaching conversation. Read both of them and maybe yeah. you'll have a little bit more, more info. I think the helpful thing is to introduce my idea of what coaching or growth or transformation is and it's three steps it is where do you want to go where are you now and what's in between and powerful coaching supports people in initially first supports them in identifying where they want to go and when a lot of people think about coaching they think it's the third part which is the stuff in between and we make assumptions about where people are and where they want to go based on our own context as coaches or how we based on the idea that we want to provide value. I don't know, whatever it is. And because it can be really, uh, as we talked about a challenging and scary process to really identify what it is that we want because we're, we're afraid we might be wrong. So even if we're wrong, it, it can be a challenge to identify it and can feel like it's a waste of time. Like we should just, cause we have this idea, like I should just know, like we just talked about, like everyone thinks, I should already have the answer. Um, and so I, I think really powerful coaching reminds people that they are immensely powerful, immensely creative, and that they there is an answer in them that says, this is what I actually want. This is where I want to go. So that's the first step. Sometimes that's all that's needed. 
really is, is as a coach, if, if I'm working with people who are really high achievers, really good performers, all they need is some clear direction on where they want to go. And they immediately create the next steps. And, and so first of all, powerful coaching does that. Secondly, powerful coaching helps people to see where they are right now, which can also be a really scary thing to take on because, um, so I gave my example of working or managing self-doubt. Well, it took years for me to acknowledge that I actually had self-doubt and that I actually felt like I was an imposter. It took me a long time to really own and acknowledge, oh, I'm operating from this context that says that I cannot let anyone know that I don't know what I'm doing or that I, I'm afraid I don't know what I'm doing. But once I, I could have clarity in that and see that, that allowed me again to have choice in what I was doing. But before that, I was operating choicelessly and consciously. And so the second part of magical coaching, I think, is, again, giving supporting people and creating awareness of where they are. And that can be so magical. It's, 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 it's the, the moment in, in mindfulness meditation when you realize that everything is actually okay. The moment you had at the concert when you were like, oh, okay, what is happening is there is moaning and complaining out here. I noticed that I could be in that energy. I'm going to choose to not to. I'm, I'm witnessing that. That is magic. That is so brilliant. That, that moment that happens there is so powerful for people. And I think happens often in coaching conversations for doing good work. So those are the two things that at the service, you're like, that's not a big deal. But when we experience them with someone else and we're seen in them, so much more can be created. And isn't that just a beautiful segue to mindful leadership again, where when you are in this space where you again see the choices you have available in terms of how you want to be, how you want to behave, the decisions you want to make in this moment suddenly give you a sense of, control which can also be perceived as a negative word but again openness as well and freedom yeah so we think about mindful leadership in my framework there the first the first part of it is self-awareness so this is exactly what we're talking about is in order for me to actually have self-awareness i need to know where i am what is happening for me in the current moment what's the what's all of the energy or expectations i'm bringing into this moment and where do I want us to go? Where do I think that we need to go as an organization? So I think you're, I think you're spot on. What else are the parts of your mindfulness um, leadership yeah, framework? Mindful leadership. So after self-awareness is awareness of others. So that says that in any moment, can I feel into other folks? Can I understand what's going on with them? Can I, this is where empathy really comes in. Can I live from the perspective in which everything that they say and do or believe makes complete sense. I, we don't have to stay there, but can I operate there? And I think that's a fundamental skill for coaches to have as well. Can I get can I get so fully in my shoes that I understand that everything that they're doing, everything that they're believing, everything that they're feeling makes complete sense and could not have happened any other way but this. That is a superpower. It's it's the key to successful sales. It's the key to successful relationships. It is, is I think, just uh, huge. And we, we have to generate self-awareness in order to get over there. Because if we don't understand our own perspective and our own shoes, then it's going to be really hard to understand others. And then the third part is the ability to focus on what's important. And there are kind of two parts to that. One is this idea of what's important. We've spoken about that. Where do I want to go and where am I right now? And 
embedded in this is our our personal values, our why, our what I'll call our what for, for anything we're taking on. Because life is going to throw us challenges. Life is not going to happen as we expect. And last night at, at the wedding I was at, I had someone ask me like, do you ever work with clients uh, on ethical issues? You know, and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. First of all, like people won't, I won't work with people who I believe might make like actual illegal decisions. Like we don't generally don't talk about that, but yeah, ethical issues come up all the time, which is, and to me, an ethical issue or, or an issue of commitment is I personally have these values. My company has these values and we have a decision to make a choice to make that seems like it's in conflict with that one or more of these values. How do I operate? And so the ability to actually know and ground in this is what it means to live in these values often removes a lot of the kind of hand, the thrashing or the, the hand wringing around those, those, those. And, and it's a skill we develop. We, we have to practice returning to the thing that's important to us on a regular basis in order to stay with it. And there are lots of ways to do that. One way is to just, you know, like journal out our values on a regular basis or um, to have them in place we see it or to sit with ourselves in mindfulness meditation, coming back to our breath, it helps to develop that muscle. Um, so that's, what's important. And then there's the ability to focus, which is again, to return to it and to stay off our phones and to, to, to continue to, to follow the strategy that we believe will get us to where we want to go again, when there's all kinds of distractions or other things that might be pointing to us that we're not doing it right. And sometimes, and often that, that requires a stick to itiveness, like, uh, like a, a, a willingness to do the thing, even when it doesn't feel like it's working for a while, always taking in new data and saying, are, you know, do we have indications that this is working? How is it going? Are we on track? And then we're just back, return back to self-awareness and where are we right now? And what do we really want? Like it's, yeah. it's an ongoing cycle and process. Yeah. And you know what, that, that was my thought. Isn't it fantastic that they come to you with those ethical challenges and sometimes what feels like a tension to explore it because that shows they are self-aware. Mm -hmm. They understand that tension is there. Now, I can't solve it myself or I might be able to solve it myself, but I need a bit of support along the way to unlock it. They, I often, like, I'll check with my coach and, like, it'll be like, am I crazy? Right? Like, that's <laughs> often my first, like, like, this thing doesn't make sense. What is happening I had this experience, like, am I, can you check my reality here, please, for a second? And then once my coach can acknowledge that it's a, I'm a human and it's okay, then I can kind of dig into what's happening and and choose from there. And so that that's kind of the first place I go is like, is like a sanity check. Yeah. And again, it's so human. Yeah. Am I going crazy now? <laughs> so yeah. just to have this open conversation and this safe, you speak about the container in your book, right, where you can... Bring that mess. I think you even mentioned the word mess as well. You call it uh, break shit. Go break shit. Yeah. <laughs> Go and break shit in your, uh, in your book, which I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So when you go and break shit, what's happening there? Yeah, we're just, uh, I had a client once who's, uh, he's also a coach and his definition of coaching was like, was like destruction. And he's, he, he kind of said it in like a, you know, kind of a snarky place, but I think it's true. Like we get to people often use the the metaphor of the butterfly and the chrysalis when they talk about transformation. And so the idea is that a caterpillar, you know, forms this chrysalis and 
literally turns into goo in the process of becoming a butterfly. And often I feel like that's what happens in transformation is we, um, we call it in my book, I call it breakdowns. What happens is we have a particular way of viewing the world. So this context, we'll go back to the example earlier of this leader who says, if I stop, then everything will break. Well, that is running their world. That, that is the machine, sort of the assembly line machine that is running their world. If we want to shift it at some point, it has to break because they need to see the fault in that and their shift. It's like, you know, like we have an old machine, we're moving on to the other one. We have to, things have to pause for a while. And in that moment of things feeling broken uh, is when everyone wants to quit, of course. And that's when stuff is broken. That in, And what, what happens then is that all of the client's feelings are in judgments are going to come up often, not every time they'll be focused on themselves or the, the coach. So like, this is, this is terrible. Why are you doing this to me? Or why am I doing this? I can't handle it. And that's when stuff is broken. And as a coach, that's when my fear comes up. Oh my gosh, I did it wrong. This shouldn't happen. They're going to fire me and I'm going to lose this income or I'm going to lose them as a client. And I really love them. And for me, it's, oh my gosh, they're so close to the breakthrough. Like, like my heart, I say your clients are going to will break your heart. Like that is that moment of potential heartbreak. And that's when stuff is broken. And also is when there's an opportunity to say, is this container still working for you? Right. And so breaking stuff is also making messes as a coach. It's saying stuff that your clients are going to re- react to and, and then, and then saying what happened there, how do we repair this relationship and what do we need to do going forward? So that's really, really works for you. And that makes it messy human with a ton of opportunity for real deep connection and transformation. I mean, I always say, think about a personal relationship when you go through thick and thin together mm-hmm. and your other half has seen you in the, your most and deepest crisis points and still you stick together that's closeness that's where you can feel liberated to do the work and really create this transformation you highlighted here so so often yeah we we have to break stuff in order to get closer right it's t- totally counterintuitive yeah enjoy the conflict and the debates yeah. that's all i can say i read um an interesting article uh, i can highly recommend that as well uh, on Mobius trip, uh, why the ego is an obstacle to mindful leadership and how our own egos as leaders get in the way. Curious about your perception. Do you yeah. believe ego gets in the way? And if so, how? Yeah, I, I, yes, I believe it gets in the way. I, it's, I don't relate to it as an obstacle, which is interesting. I, I'm a bit different from a lot. I'm a bit contrarian to some folks where my fundamental belief is that the ego is divine also. And what I mean by that is we can often think there's this like holy me who is pure light and love and it knows all the answers. And then there's the ego that is against this holy version of me and is just trying to get in the way. And, you know, um, I love Ryan Holiday and he has, his book is The Ego is the Enemy. I actually like think the ego deserves a ton of love. Because when we look back, and this is psychology, like we look back and say, where did all these, a lot of these beliefs from our, our, our ego sh- come from? Well, generally, a lot of these beliefs and these patterns showed up when we were between like two and five years old, right? It was our way of staying safe in the world. And 
So my perspective is, is yes, those are no longer functioning as we're adults and we're up to bigger things because they were made from a two to five-year-old brain when the world is actually really scary. So can we hold the perspective of, yes, they are no longer, they no longer serve us. And also they deserve love. They deserve divine love because they showed up. They were here to keep us safe. They, and if, if, if we're all divinity, then they cannot be separate by definition. They cannot be separate from us. And so that that's my perspective. And, and again, to like ground this is in this, this perspective. Uh, like if I stop, then everything will fall apart. I imagine that that person grew up in a household or an environment that really valued productivity. And that two to five-year-old them like learn from their parents who probably had the same fear that that was the way to survive life. And so if I can hold that with tremendous love and compassion, then I think that's, that's a, uh, a quicker way through it. It's a different way to relate to it. And again, it's like being on the, on the roller coaster. Like it's not as scary when it shows up. I don't have to like get armored up and go bash it. I can be like, I can give it a hug. And be like, oh my gosh, you're here again. Hey, Welcome. I see you and you're not driving the bus. I am, but you're safe. It's all okay. We're not going to die. So that's my perspective. It reminds me a little bit of, you can call it the Kremlin, um, you know, those yeah. those critical voices that sometimes drive your behaviors in certain situations. Um, and to really acknowledge that is important. And that's where the self-awareness comes in again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to note, like, I don't do a great job of this. I, I remember when I first started meditating, I, speaking of going from optional to required really fast, I am, I expected myself since I was teaching mindfulness to have full present awareness all of the time. So I would have a commitment. I'm like, I'm going to meditate while I'm in the shower and I'm going to like really feel say the water or something. And then, you know, a minute would pass and I would not do that because I'm human but the, I would like beat myself. I would be like, oh my gosh, you're failing. You didn't do it. You need to do better. Right. Like that mm-hmm. was kind of my, that it was like a hammer. And um, so, so part of the self-awareness work is to acknowledge, oh yeah, I'm hammering myself again. And then, and then we can go in a layer deeper. It's like an onion, like, cause once we have that awareness, our ego is going to show up and try to do something with that. Cause that's what it does. Like it finds a new way to kind of hold and protect us from growth. And so I might have a judgment about the hammer or my awareness of the hammer or how I bring, how I bring awareness to the hammer, you know, like whatever. And then, and then, and then we get to keep working layer by layer because for me, it's just an indication that we're growing and and changing. I appreciate you will be heading off on a nice, hopefully mindful hiking um, trip, enjoying your wonderful uh, area that you live in. It's I, I sometimes wonder, by the way, I often welcome here guests from Colorado that are really into meditation, mindfulness, bringing mindfulness into leadership, coaching, and doing some great things in the world in all sorts of different uh, aspects and industries. And I wonder as to whether Colorado is the place to be if you want to really have this positive impact on society. <laughs> <laughs> but you're perhaps the better judge. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely in the water here uh, in Colorado. Like folks who are, um, I, you know, I wonder. I don't. I don't know if there, there's like a clear connection between nature and mindfulness and this idea. And I know that there are a lot of folks here who are who are committed to this way of being in the world. And and honestly, that's one of the things that I really love about it. It's 
you know, I, I spoke to bring mindfulness to, uh, I was in Tennessee at the time and, you know, in some ways could feel like a bit of an uphill battle. Um, even where I grew up in Michigan, it's not everyone quite understands what I'm talking about or, or the work that I do when I talk about feeling feelings, right. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, what are those? Do we have to have those, et cetera. And here in Colorado, there's just, there's a, there's a different understanding, at least in Denver and uh, in Boulder, where I spend a lot of time on the front range, which is like, yeah, that's sort of expect, expected. So we can start, we can enter conversation at a different level. Yeah. Something for me to explore. I might just visit and yeah, see how it out, feels, meet people. But I, I do want to touch up on coaching and how to become a coach with you for a moment. Here's, I mentioned it to you in our pre-conversation that I have an absolute love-hate relationship or love-dislike relationship with certification. Yeah. Now, I am a coach who has an ICF membership, who is currently working towards the next credentialing and so on and so forth. But in all honesty, and I speak about that very openly as well, I often say, why am I doing this? Mm. Because I'm doing my best work when I'm my natural self, focusing really on my client, my coachee, stepping into their space. And at the same time, you speak in your book about that, doing my own work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's constant, nonstop work that needs to be done. When I'm on my credentialing path, I feel unnatural in my coaching. I feel restricted. I feel like put into a box. And I really struggle to step out of it. And yet there's this limiting belief and this perception I need to have in order to be accepted in this world as coach. Now, the other side to it is that I hear a lot about coaches who became coaches and on a two days course quickly, a quick webinar. And now I call myself a coach. I have an opinion on that one as well. Yeah. So do you step onto this TEDx um, stage saying I've never formally learned to be a coach but I've obviously experienced and I practice it and so on yeah and you make a real impact in this world Mm. on leaders leaders to be and society overall now what's the balance here between training to be a coach learning by doing taking on an online webinar well what makes us good coaches yeah we could, uh, we probably could have spent the whole time talking yes. about this, about, um, yeah. So thanks for pointing out. I am not a certified coach. Um, so, so sort of the history is that I started working with my first coaching client in 2016 and in like January of 2018, I knew I wanted to get trained because I was still having this question of like, am I actually coaching? Am I doing it right? Am I, what am I missing? What, you know, um, all, all of those things. And so I, 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 I looked at two programs. One was an in-person ICF certified training where I lived at the time. And then one was something called the Samurai Coaching Dojo. And when I looked at the curriculum, the the ICF training, half of the time was talking about sort of what I what I looked at were basic psychology principles, which I had studied in college. And I was like, I'm already, I'm already doing this stuff. I was also a marketer where I was applying psychology all over the place. And my my take was um i also had a i have a little bit of bias like you of like i want i didn't want to be in a program where someone might even take this eight week course but then not actually become a coach because i had seen a lot of people who were certified coaches but not actually doing the work mm-hmm. 
And um, so primary, my primary perspective on what makes someone a good coach is a commitment to the craft, a commitment to their own growth and development. A priori above everything else, it is a way of operating in the world as a choice and a commitment to being a person who does this work, who lives this way. Um, so that that's number one. And I'm I have a lot of energy behind that. I have a like I have a strong opinion on what it means to be a coach and our responsibility. Personally, I'm agnostic on what you what course you take, what trainings you do, how you decide you are as a coach, what what philosophy you have, what frameworks you can completely disagree with my framework. If you're committed to that way of being and that growth, I think you're doing really good work. Um, so th that's kind of one. And two, the way that I look at it is I love training. I love training from the perspective of this is a thing that I want to learn, knowing that it doesn't change my value as a human being. It's a skill that I am intending to develop. And so I'm committing to this training in, in service of developing this, this skill. So when I did uh, in the, in the coaching dojo, which is a, again, a non-certified training, but focused on the idea of deliberate practice and, and gave us a lot of, and deliberate practice and feedback. So we would coach in a room with about six people, do live coaching sessions on real topics, and then get feedback from all of the people in the room who are both kind of early coaches to quite seasoned to really master coaches. And what that, what that gave me it, what it gave me was an opportunity to see all kinds of perspectives of what successful coaching was. Um, but it also gave me an opportunity every time I would go into a practice, I would share, this is my practice focus. And so sometimes I would focus on, I'm only going to ask two, I'm allowed to do two things. I'm, gonna, I'm allowed to ask, what do you want? And give a reflection. And those are very coaching terms that are reflections, just sharing what we're observing back. And so I would coach for 10, 15 minutes and I could do two things as a coach, super restrictive to your point. But what it does, what it, what it did, it was gave me awareness that I was basically coaching with one hand behind my back. And so I would notice my tendency or need to do other things, to ask other questions or the judgments I had about, um, or the discomfort I had about asking only two questions and feeling really limited. And so what I think that that does, if we can view it from this empowered place, it allows us freedom after that. It's like we're intentionally restricting so that we have choice about that after because it shows us our patterns as a coach. So that that's broadly my perspective. The last thing I'll say is that my my last coach was training for her MCC while we, at some point while we were working together and asked me during one of our sessions if she could record it to use it. Mm. And she um my perspective as a client was that her coaching changed cuz she was really she's really generous with observation and, and reflection generally. And as soon as the, the recording came on, it was more question focused, right? Cause MC like MCC, like don't add yourself to the space. Like that's the yeah. kind of sort of certificate. And, and it happened to be a particularly emotional topic for me. I don't remember exactly what it was, but at some point about two thirds through, I was like, you need to stop the recording. Like I'm losing my freaking mind. I need you in the space. And so I, as a client, even couldn't, like, I was not okay with this different way of being. That reveals stuff about me <laughs> as, a, as a client, right? And, and, and it is to say that I have a perspective that, yeah, having an, a capacity to work across a really broad spectrum is actually a benefit as a coach. But look at where, you, where your habits are. 
and, and use training to establish this broader range and, and to bust down some of your habits? Actually, it says a lot about you, how you really understand your needs in the moment and call them out in a trusting relationship. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what stuck with me right away. But yeah, I can completely understand it. And I noticed that in myself. And I think you run the risk. I'm not saying it's the case for everybody, but you run the risk to kind of change suddenly who you are as a coach, as a person in that moment, who's holding the space for somebody else. And you might be more preoccupied with how do I need to be instead of how can I be fully present to that other person and whatever they are bringing in the moment. Yeah, totally. And to to be to be clear, like when I see an amazing coach or I do a training now, there's a period of time where I'm really weird and wonky and wobbly in my coaching because I am trying on, like, mm-hmm. I will try to be them as a coach if I deeply admire them. And so, so, you know, like this is like also giving ourselves permission as coaches to show up imperfectly and to, yeah, to like, as we're growing to be messy in that growth ourselves and to know that I'm not going to show up like perfectly clean and clear every time I got my own stuff. If I'm growing, it's going to be weird. And so, you know, like we're just kind of going to do that if we're in training, but sometimes it's going to happen. I'm, I'm so disappointed that um, this, the program you joined isn't actually running anymore. It sounds perfect. So if anything like that comes, uh, yeah, you come across anything like that in the future, do let me know. I will. The what, one that I can plug is called The Forge, and it's run by Adam Quiney and Bela Blanc Quiney. It's an ontology-based or focused group training, but there's an opportunity to coach in front of the room and to get feedback. And Adam and Bay, Bay was a coach I was mentioned who was working on our MCC. Uh, Adam and Bay were my two of my first teachers when I was in the dojo. And so they're all of their work I can highly recommend. Thank you. Yeah. But also, you are a coach. You uh-huh. always want a little bit more and go further and grow. So what's coming next for you? Apart yeah, from the well, wedding, obviously. Yes, that 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 is important. Um, what I'm trying to do with this book, so I have a history of doing creative projects and then just kind of like letting them go. So like I did my TEDx talk and I did zero to actually merchandise it or try to turn it into more speaking gigs because I had like moved on. I was like, okay, cool. I'm done with that thing. I worked a long time. <laughs> <Take it>. so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Checkbox. Um, so with the book, I'm really trying to honor the the art in it and honor the message. And so I'm, I'm sticking with it. And part of that is creating, uh, I'm piloting a program that will kick off in August um, called Mastering the Coaching Game that takes the principles of the book uh, deeper over five months is made for coaches. I'm going to have up to eight in this first round. And the idea is we'll take each of the sections of the book and support coaches in applying them first to their own life. Um, For example, having them look at like, what do you believe is coaching is for? What what containers really light you up as a coach? Where do you miss some of those containers and setting up those containers or agreements in your work? Where do you get hooked with clients and supporting coaches in becoming really amazing as coaches so that they really understand that the game that they're, that they want to play as a coach. So I'm, ex- I'm excited for that experiment. I'm excited to support folks in a group, which I haven't done in a little bit. Um, and then secondly, on the sort of one-on-one side, my next vision is I'm calling in an, a new program called the Magnum Opus Project, which is 
my imagination of if I if I was working with someone who is a, already a high performer who knew how to create success and we had lots of resources and we could build what I call the ideal support party, we could build this amazing team to support them. What could they create? And so this is for someone who has already created uh, wealth. They've already created financial success such they don't need to work. And their soul's masterpiece is not yet created. They they need to express some way. And it could be another business. It could be philanthropic work. It could be an actual piece of art. I don't know, maybe they want to write a piece of music. I don't know what it is, but they do. And, and I imagine they need to have an identity shift to create it. And so we work together for 12 to 18 months, find out who are the healers, trainers, teachers, people that they need to help this transformation and, and then what's on the other side. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for, for that. That's, that one is my very unknown, very groundless uh, attempt now to just see what might happen. Sounds super, super exciting. And I can't wait to read about it, hear about it. Yeah. Um, perhaps with some more speaking engagements, you know, you engage in. Who knows, Matt? Thank you. But most importantly, please share with the listeners where they can find you so that they can get in touch with you about all of these amazing programs to come. Yeah, the, the best place to find me is on my website is goldenbristle.com. Uh, and that's bristle uh, like a brush, B-R-I-S-T-L-E. Um, and that is the golden bristle comes from, uh, I'll share a little story. It's a, it's a mythological Norse boar who was crafted with thousands of strands of gold. And um, they said wherever he went, the sun shone and flowers bloomed. So he literally created abundance uh, wherever he went. Yeah, I'm looking for a suitable new business name, but that's that's tough to top. thank you you. well that's so suitable and um you clearly represent everything that your name or the business name really shares Mm -hmm. um creating abundance you know in life whatever it means for the individuals you are supporting and what you can also find on the website is matt's book this is coaching i can highly recommend it if you are a coach if you are a leader who um, wants to apply more coaching skills If you are simply curious about coaching and how to be a better human being to others, a good listener who does the work as well to, you know, work through your own messy stuff, as Matt so nicely highlighted in the book, well, then this is a good read for you. Get it on Amazon via the website, but we are also going to post the links, obviously, in the show notes. Matt, you want to leave a final question for the listeners to think about. Yeah, this is related to uh, what we talked about. So I, the the question, or maybe it's a practice, to because I, I, I highly recommend writing this down. If you could change the world, if there was a, a piece of the world that could happen, something that could happen that you would like to see, uh, maybe this answer is like you feel a bit nervous writing it. You have a little bashful smile. You feel a little flushed or silly writing it. It sounds maybe a little bit too obvious. What would that be? What, how would you change the world if you could? Or what change would you see in the world if you could? Just write it down and see what happens after it's on, on paper. Love that. Well, and do share with us, if you are for it at least, what you wrote down. What is your Please. vision, your idea? Get in touch. I'm yeah. curious for sure. Matt, it has been a true pleasure to welcome you here on the show as a guest, as an expert, 
and a great human being. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. I'll see you in Colorado soon, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. But until then, first of all, have the best wedding. Enjoy that day to the fullest um, and send Thank pictures you. over, please. Thank you. Will do. All righty. Take good care. And to all the listeners out there, have a wonderful week. Uh, let us know what you thought about the show. Uh, any questions, pop them over and um, become your own best coaches. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.